Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Well, welcome back to Movement. Today, I have the opportunity to be sitting down with Keith Jobbins, who Keith is uh, the National Director of Australian Baptist Ministries, so the wider movement that we as South Australian Baptists are part of. Keith is also a pastor. He's been a cross-cultural worker overseas, uh, husband, father of two, grandfather of five. Uh, and I learned today uh, into some uh, football, but not the kind of football that most people listening probably think of. Different shape ball, right, Keith? Yes, true. A different shape ball and... <laughs> Mind you, can I say this, provided this doesn't get no one in New South Wales listens. Right. I've come to appreciate uh, Aussie rules as a much better spectator sport than rugby <laughs> league. But um, that's, uh, you know, I still have a, a Sydney club I follow, but uh, as they're at the bottom of the table, I'm not taking much notice. In fact, it's <laughs> lovely. There's no tension for me this year at all. <laughs> Out of it. Okay, it's great to have you here. And in your role as National Director of Australian Baptist Ministries, we really appreciate you giving us your time. And so I wanted to start by asking you to tell us a bit about it yourself and particularly what are the passions and the experiences you've had that have shaped you and brought you to where you find yourself today? Well, thank you, Melinda. And it's uh, lovely to be with you all. Um, I've, well, I appreciate all the times I've had a chance to be in South Australia. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's always been encouraging. Look, the, the reality is for me, I think, my passion grows out of what happened to me as a, as a young adult when <laughs> some mates invited me along to a local Baptist church because they said there's some pretty girls come. <laughs> and then they always had some, those small party pies at, at after supper. So, I mean, they just met my two basic needs. Feed of girls, uh, yeah. Meat and pretty <laughs> girls. And, yeah, and in that place, I've got to say, eventually, I did meet my wife, Marilyn, mm-hmm. uh, though initially I was not aware of her or her of me. But what I did discover was uh, a reality about who Jesus was mm-hmm. for me. Nominal Anglican Catholic background, sent mm-hmm. off to, to Sunday school by my mum, who was a nominal Catholic, but to the Anglicans. Uh, and so went through that process, confirmed at 13, 14, not understanding what I was doing really, but it was the way to get out of Sunday school. Mm-hmm. But these mates invite me along and I suddenly hear about Jesus in a way that I'd never heard before, even though I'm grateful for the Sydney Anglicans and for the, for the biblical content I got. So I knew the stories, but right. it didn't make any sense. And so really it was that, it was that real sense of Jesus, of me in clearly hearing in my own heart and mind Jesus saying, Keith, will you follow me? After a series of meetings and, and, and actually at a, at a house party. Uh, interesting as it turned out at a house party which was about mission-focused culture. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> mission-focused. But that stage I wasn't thinking about any of that. But, but that mm. really changed my direction. That stage I was at university doing an arts uh, economics degree right. with a view to going into business, already had a cadetship with a large firm. But suddenly I recognised that the Lordship of Jesus, even though I probably wouldn't have termed it in those days, said something asking Jesus about Korea. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah. And so I, I began to ask that question, is that right for me? Mm-hmm. And, and in a sense felt led away from that uh, with an, a changing values to actually uh, accept a teacher's college scholarship, a late scholarship to do my dip ed and go to teaching. And, and so it's interesting that, it, that, yeah, that whole process of 
understanding who Jesus is for me and he is my Lord and asking those, those questions um, along the way. And so that was really became for me that, that clear sense of, of call, uh, even just to be a disciple. Mm-hmm. And then in, in the midst of that, then the bigger question about, well, not the bigger question, but the ongoing question about, well, what does that mean for future in terms of relationships? And Marilyn and I at that stage were increasingly connected to each other. Uh, yeah, is this right, God, under your your wisdom and those that area? And then the call to to uh, what became a call to mission, interesting. But I think in that day and age, you were either called to local church, you were called to overseas mission. <laughs> okay, <laughs> seems quite separate. Yeah, it was really, and even a mm-hmm. theological college, very separate. In a t- are you heading for pastoral ministry? No, I'm heading, oh, well, you know, <laughs> we don't need to talk to you. <laughs> I felt like it was a minority experience, let me tell you, in a way. Mm-hmm. But um, that, that's okay. I understood in that, that era. I, I think we're much more mature now, much more nuanced about what, what mission really is and how we define mm-hmm. that much more in a much healthier way. But but so really from early on and for Marilyn as well, separately but together, there was a sense of a call to something which was going to involve leaving our Australian culture, uh, that's Australian mono-Anglo culture as we would have defined it then and heading off overseas. And, and that's, that's just stayed. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't, uh, while it's had some different feelings and, and obviously it sounds very nice and clear-cut and it's none of that. <laughs> it was great battles and, and that can't be possible and no Lord, you know, kind of thing. But, but that's remained a very strong privilege and uh, the strong passion and the word privilege comes because as I look back, it's been such a rich privilege. We went back two years ago, uh, took uh, our daughter who was raised in Indonesia, right. to take her boys, my three grandsons, back to see where they live. So in the end, my son said, well, I'm coming too. And his wife said, well, I want to come. And so we even took, I mean, everyone came. The youngest grandson, they so he was only three. So he was not that enamoured with the whole thing. But it was to reconnect and to have my adult children say to Marilyn and I, this has just been so powerfully important to us. Uh, I, I look back now and thank God for that rich privilege, both for Marilyn and I to be involved in that emerging church and the privilege, but for my son and daughter to have an experience of such depth for them, which has impacted them as well. So, yeah, so that's where the passion lies, to be honest with you. It's, no, it's, it's great. A lovely journey, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Like, talk about the lordship of Jesus. I mean, like you said, m- maybe we wouldn't use that phrase, but that, mm. that sense of, hey, when you meet Jesus, it changes everything. It has an yeah. impact on all different areas. Yeah. What What is it, you know, that makes you tick? What What gets you fired, you know, what gets you fired up and really burning passion? Well, well I, I think that the reality of, uh, and not wanting to be too introverted or, or introspective in a way or mm-hmm. selfish even, but to say, I, what I experienced for myself in terms of the, 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 the liberation that's come in knowing who Jesus is for me as my Lord and Saviour uh, has just meant the, the sense of wanting to see that for other people as well. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, and that, that really, at different times, I've sort of wondered about a career shift. I really love teaching. And mm-hmm. for a moment I explored, I was on the local council in the regional town we're a part of, and, in, and I joined the local councils as a councillor elderman, or alderman, or rather, <laughs> elderman, alderman, and, um, and, and then I was approached by one of our two political parties, the one which is a bit more left-wing, uh, to ask would I stand as a candidate. Now, this is oh. a country area, so right. we're never going to get elected. <laughs> and Marilyn, I really prayed about that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I previously applied for a job at, in a university to teach politics because that had been my passion. Right. at university. But uh, we said, Lord, it's up, you know, what? And we had a strong said, Lord said, no, that's not where you're heading. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so the passion was to serve Jesus, to be sensitive mm-hmm. in his direction in whatever place. And I'm grateful now for politicians we have who love Jesus and seek in that very difficult place to live out their faith Mm -hmm. in in an environment which is all about compromise. Um, So I admire them for that. And I'm grateful that was not the door that was finally open for me. But it just underscored for me as I look back, there was that sense of, Lord, I just want to be where you want us to be as a Mm -hmm. couple, as a family. Uh, That's the passion really. And interesting, Melinda, now as I'm coming to the end of this role and facing another change in my journey, that's again the question Beth Marilyn and I now ask again as we head into this, what what will be somewhere into early next year, a change in role, uh, Lord, what is it? What's it going to look like? And with a, while at times there's an underlying anxiety, <laughs> I have to say it's matched but by a, a lovely sense of looking back, here's where Jesus has led us, uh, he'll do it again. Mm. Uh, so I encourage you to hear that and I know you came uh, last year and spoke to our pastors conference here in South mm. Australia and what was the feedback you know we really appreciated from our pastors was just hearing that uh, that story of your heart of just uh, you know just trying to follow Jesus and it's led you into all kinds of interesting places which we'll have a chat about but before we get there I wanted to ask you um, you know we're we, um, hoping that people listening to this podcast are from our, across our Baptist churches here in South Australia but when you imagine who might be listening who do you hope is listening into our conversation today? Well, I mean, I hope it's much wider than you and I hope, you know, why? Yeah. <laughs> given there's so much available these days, isn't there? Uh, well, I, I would I would trust, obviously, the, the senior leadership of our South Australian Baptist churches. Uh, I'm sure they appreciate uh, the association and particularly in this COVID period uh, of providing just good advice and support and encouragement uh, and then trusting, in a sense, uh, them encouraging people in their uh, faith communities to look. Here's some here's some interesting life journeys that might be just uh, used by the Spirit of God to twig you. Because I'm grateful for the people who spoke into my world, mm. not expecting them to say mm. things which, in the end, the Spirit of God used uh, to affirm His touch on me or His call on me for life for a variety, in a variety of places. In fact, now I have a, a, a what I call my discernment group, and some people don't even know they're in it. <laughs> you know, but, but I listen. I want to listen to what they're saying and saying to myself, Spirit, is this what you're saying to confirm this next step? So I just hope it's people who are who are saying, I'm listening. Lord, what are you saying? And particularly in the midst of this COVID thing, mm-hmm. um, even though I'm conscious that South Australia is uh, is a bit further ahead. Uh, than say what I am in Sydney, but yeah. even in this in this, in this rather unpredictable environment, mm. Lord, uh, does that mean there's new opportunities? I'm listening. So I would just hope mm. anyone who's open to hear what the Spirit of God's saying to them, and remarkably the Spirit of God uses some most unlikely sources to speak into our world. So uh, maybe I might be an unlikely source for someone. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you that God speaks through, you know, one another and listening to one another is part of listening to the Spirit. So look forward to what you've got. So keeping your humility, you know, you you have sat in some pretty significant roles in our movement, a couple of them. So you were the 
I'm going to get the titles right, General Director of Global yeah. Interaction, so our Baptist Mission Organisation, and then now yeah. National Director of Australian Baptist Ministries. Um, and so in those two roles, you've, you've probably had, like you said, the privilege of mm-hmm. seeing and hearing and, and learning a whole bunch of stuff across our movement nationally that many of us wouldn't be aware of. So I'd love to ask you for some of, some of what you've learned, <laughs> you know, some of what you'd like yeah. to share with us. Sure. Well, I, I think what my experience, uh, both personally and now I've observed, is that people often wonder if uh, God could actually use them. We, we live in an era where it's all about qualification and, and professionalism and our professions, particularly then, sort of high, uh, develop a capacity to almost lock other people out by certain language and those sort of things. And in the church, actually, we've almost got, to that problem with a kind of a professional clergy. And and I think the reality, that rubs so up against who we are as Baptists, Mm -hmm. the sense of, uh, well, the technical term, priest of all believers, but the sense of that God has equipped all of us and calls all of us uh, into Mm -hmm. particular areas where he would want to, to bless people around us by us being his people in that place. And I I guess what I've learned over the years is, and particularly as I've my experience, both yes, as a as a cross cultural ministry person in Indonesia for those years, back mm-hmm. home to Dural Baptist Church, where thirteen years pastoring a church, then to Global Interaction, and now in this role is to see people who unfortunately disqualify themselves okay. um, from ministry because they've either locked into this notion, well, I'm not a part of that elite. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or I've I've stuffed up my life so much that God couldn't use me, uh, and in that they 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 forget how Peter denies Jesus three times, or they, you know, they they misreading their the gospel stories, uh, or even of you know John Mark and that episode mm-hmm. for him. I mean, I I think sadly they've been conned by this world, but I think it's much more a part of that. Well, Paul talks about their battle against Spencer principalities and powers uh, and I think it's a part of that demonic activity in a sense that that wants to all right you become a follower of Jesus but if I can inhibit you from actually doing anything mm-hmm. in that so I think for me that the lovely experience is we meet people of all sides uh, all capacity and some who I would have never chosen you know, <laughs> in places doing remarkable things. I mean, mm-hmm. doesn't it either? They're still human and we're still all, you know, these are certainly imperfect sort of jars of made of clay that we're all a part of. But I think for me, and that's the great strength of us as a, as a community, mm-hmm. if we only live that out mm-hmm. and say to everyone who's a disciple of Jesus, friends, God has called you in this relationship for some uniqueness. Because your community is unique. You're the only one who links into some of those communities. Mm. You're the only person maybe in that family unit who knows Jesus. And that's not to increase any sense of, of guilt, but it's more just to remind us of the privilege that we have of speaking into those places. You know, it's almost like, you know, that's John's record of when John 6 is it, you know, where Jesus breaks the bread and that little boy brings his, his little bit. <laughs> and much to the to the consternation, consternation almost of the disciples who've sort of said it can't be done, mm-hmm. and even Andrew says, "Well, it can't be done, Lord, but maybe you can do it." Or uh, you know, uh, this I, I think for me that's for me one of the telling gospel moments. The, the little bit that we think 
our lives are not particularly useful in God's hands, suddenly feed a multitude. Now, I've seen that replicated time and again in local churches, in cross-cultural situations, in some of our bigger agencies. I think about mm-hmm. the beginning of Baptist Financial Services. of a minister here in New South Wales, Reg Paper, says, how do we raise funds to be able to fund church planting? Right. Baptist Financial Services is the product of that man's question and wondering, uh, bumping up against something that's too big. I mean, in fact, of all of our agencies, uh, Baptist care agencies, uh, Baptist insurance, they all begin because we've got a group of people who say, Lord, this is massive. Can we do anything? Mm-hmm. And the same true, I mean, all of our churches, think about our church planning in terms of people who courageously say, or churches courageously say, we'll send some of those people to that place. And then, of course, uh, our work in cross-cultural situations. I mean, just remarkable what's been achieved. When I think of the people in Bangladesh, Cambodia, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, the list goes on, mm. uh, you know, those eight presently sort of, if you like, the targeted areas to see communities of faith. Mm. Just some of the lovely stories coming out of Thailand, Thailand amongst Thai Buddhists who, who are understanding they don't have to give up their Thai culture to become believers in Jesus. I mean, that's a challenge for them. But it, they're, they're accepting and doing it. I, I just get immensely excited. And why is that? Because individual Baptists, and it's not just Baptists, but that's our uniqueness mm. for me in terms of, of this area, have said, yeah, the ministry belongs to us all. Mm-hmm. What's my part? What's my bit in the jigsaw? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and this is my part. And in fact, the picture won't be complete <laughs> until I do my bit. So that, that's the kind of thing I think I see constantly. And and this these years in this role, uh, mm-hmm. in sort of a national role, I've just reinforced that. Um, and as I meet uh, people of our Baptist communities who who serving, and I already mentioned some of our politicians. Uh, um, you know, you're a very fine senator in South Australia. I mean, such a good man. And I just love his his sense of I'm here because this is what Jesus wants me to do. Uh, you know, other places, in businesses and things like that. I mean, I reflect back, you know, the previous governor of the Reserve Bank uh, in New South Wales, the previous uh, uh, what, uh, police commissioner, all members of local Baptist churches. I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, there's a depth to us. But then there's also but that lovely older lady who in her retirement village in her room has the evidence of her prayer both for a local church and for some staff working overseas and her commitment to to pray for those people, uh, just so profoundly important. So, yeah, so I guess uh, that, that's for me the, uh, the thing I keep seeing is that uh, we've all got a place to play. And, and can I say this without wanting to get too sermonic about it, but it strikes me that as, as pastors, you know, Paul says in Ephesians 4, you've been given this gift of pastors. Did you opt for to equip the body for ministry? I know we have to do ministry in our pastoral roles, but I think we've got to be saying, how am I helping the people in this congregation find where they fit? And remind himself, it's not all about what happens on Sunday. Mm. IG Cobbard's yeah. reminded us. Hasn't it just? <laughs> yeah, that uh, ministry is much more extensive, even though I appreciate the importance of that. Often it is our shop mm. front. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, uh, how am I helping people in my congregation to, to get a, a sense of the richness of what God wants to lead them into? And how do I help them in that process um, to to be discovering and exploring uh, where God wants them and how he wants to bless them and privilege them in partnership with him. Yeah. 
it's, I'm hearing this, so there's this really big picture, isn't there, of what God's doing all around the world, but yeah. then it comes down to, like you're saying, just the stories of ordinary people Absolutely. saying, oh, what can I do? And probably not expecting that they're going to be caught up in anywhere near where they're going to end up. No, not at all. Yeah. 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 What else have you been learning from, uh, from being in these roles? Well, I think the other critical thing I've learned along the way is, is the importance of, uh, of we do this as colleagues together. Now, maybe that's a bit of a continuation of what I just said, but, it, but it's more than it, it's recognising that we belong to each other. And particularly, I guess I'm thinking at, at leadership kind of levels, that all of us bring a contribution at leadership. Uh, but it's uh, that, that when there are no super women and super men. Uh, even though media and sometimes even some biographies kind of want to suggest that's true. Um, and I get a bit scared when I start reading some of that stuff because <laughs> I want to say, well, I don't know how real this is. I appreciate people, you know, wanting to so say we really we value what this person's done and, and that's <laughs> fine. But I, I think we don't help people if we kind of begin to suggest that that person is without fault. Mm-hmm. All of us know none of us are without fault. Uh, and so I think for me that that sense of honest leadership together, mm-hmm. um, a- accepting, yeah, every role has responsibility and I've got to accept the responsibility of that, but recognising I need to do that together with a group of people. In fact, for me, the thing I've learned over the years is is to be very careful I'm not out of limb on my own because if it gets sawn off, it's going to be a, lo- a very lonely fall. <laughs> so I want some people with me. But, but uh, for me, but that's about discernment. Mm-hmm. How do we discern the will of God? How do we discern that? And I'm very, very uh, wary of kind of that, if you like, prophetic tradition that says it's only one person who gets mm-hmm. the message. Uh, my experience has been to say, well, Lord, I'm hearing this, but, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm understanding you're not just saying this to me. You'll be saying this to a group of people. In fact, interesting at Dural, uh, we, we had a, yeah, a really lovely journey in experiencing tr- the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. So what do you do with prophecy? What, what, what do you do with the apostolic gift in a local church? How do you work your way through what that looks like? Because we tend to historically and theologically have been dominated by pastor-teacher. Mm-hmm. So it's how do we fit those in? And so I had people come to me who had a, an insight gift and they'd say, Keith, this is what God's been saying to me. I said, well, look, write it down, would you? Uh, and then mm-hmm. i put that in my top drawer of my desk. <laughs> and I'd say to them, look, I'm sure if this is what God's saying to us as a community of faith and direction, he'll affirm it from some other people. Mm-hmm. And so I would put that in my drawer. And then when someone else would come and say, not necessarily a word of knowledge for their point of view because they didn't think that way, but they said, Keith, I've been thinking about this. And I go, oh, that aligns. <laughs> and I'd get that out and start to say, well, to my leadership group, hey, guys, this is what we're hearing. What do you think mm-hmm. along the way? In fact, the excitement at Dural for me was uh, that sense of team. And, and you know, we were in, started a bit of a building program, but we, the intercessors were over here and the architects and developers were over there. <laughs> and, and I was sort of with the leadership group. We were sitting there. And, and I'd say to the intercessors, guys, this is what the guys are thinking Take it away. Mm-hmm. We need your sense of, is this okay? Uh, now, you could, hey, well, Keith, well, you're abdicating your responsibility prayer. No, I pray, but I'm not mm-hmm. an intercessor. Mm-hmm. That's not my gift. I know that having worked with intercessors, and I'm so grateful they're there. So I think for me, maybe it comes back, as I think about it now, as I'm thinking, hearing myself speak, it's about that sense of, uh, yeah, the Ephesians pattern. Mm-hmm. These gifts are given 
to strengthen the body so the body can get on with what God's called them to. And, you know, back in Ephesians 3 and 10, Paul says that remarkable thing that every time I read it, it me out, that it's through the church that the grace of God, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be declared to the principle, mm-hmm. that cosmic sort of thing in Ephesians where Paul he says, here's a trigger for it. It's actually local church. And when you think that Ephesians was an encyclical to local churches in Asia Minor, I go, wow, my local church? Really, Lord? You know? <laughs> and then I've got to re-trigger and say, yes, yes. And, of course, again, in what over a 1,000 local Baptist churches now across Australia affiliated to our state associations. Wow. Mm. Wow. Every mm. election, <laughs> every portion of our country including those very unique congregations in Central Australia made up of our Indigenous Baptist brothers and sisters to think that, Lord, that's... And then, of course, all the other lovely faith communities as well and aren't Baptist. So that's the sort of thing I think I, I'm seeing is, again, that, that truth about that reality. Uh, mm-hmm. that we're in this together and we need to recognise that, our contribution to it, and particularly at leadership. Mm-hmm. So no lone rangers, no one out there doing their own thing, uh, us in this together. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, like you say, it's kind of our, our Baptist history and distinctives, that, yeah. that idea of, of shared discernment, but also the, the images in the Bible, the body in the New Testament. Absolutely. I'm, I'm wondering if you have you shared a couple, but are there yeah. any other stories of what you've seen? Of Like it's it's kind of our ideal and it's what we're looking for. How, how does it work out in practice? Yeah, well, it's... Uh... Well, it does work out in practice. Uh, I mean, I've already reflected on some at local church level. Uh, all right, let me take it to another level. Let's go to mm-hmm. global interaction. Okay, so uh, in the history, we, we, we've concentrated historically because of the Kerry influence and the South Australian influence, I have to say. <laughs> we end up in, in, uh, in Bengal, in uh, India at that stage. You know, that mm-hmm. wonderful, remarkable story. Uh, the influence of uh, Flinders Street and other churches in Adelaide. Uh, you know, again, there's that, that sense of God using a, a community within our broader community to call the broader community to something. Mm-hmm. But we get to the point in Southern Africa, we've gone in to work in Zambia and Zimbabwe, replacing the South African Baptists who got kicked out uh, because <laughs> of apartheid. Okay. Um, and good old Malcolm Fraser had encouraged Zimbabwe or Rhodesia was then uh, to push that way and so Australians were positive and so we get invited to replace but they were already established churches and we always said we're going to be in there for five to ten years now we're there for longer but uh, but the quick time's coming and so it's that group of people who start saying well where Lord do we just conclude our work in southern Africa uh, or do we and so that group of people started to say well, is there some work elsewhere in Southern Africa? And, of course, they, they became aware of the Yao, this right. Muslim community stuck inside a very nominal Christian world mm-hmm. and, and not hearing the gospel. I mean, they've been the slave traders. So quite naturally, the other tribes were never going to be happy about them. It's almost the Job stuff. Lord, if we go and tell them, they'll come to faith and they don't deserve it. It's just classic kind of that, mm-hmm. that situation. And so it's that team, but. The, the the what we would call now the Zim and Zambia and the Zimbabwe and Zambia team of our Australian stuff saying what next Lord and they bring that back to global interaction. Oh, so they brought the idea back. They brought the idea back and started to say, shouldn't we be thinking about this? And so the exploration comes to start in Malawi, uh, and now of course we see a number of Yao 
Muslim background believers. I mean, it's just such an exciting thing. Now, the Lord might have used another agency, another group to do it, but the privilege came to us. So that's, again, that, that sense of, of, of discernment together, open process, uh, around a table somewhere, maybe now around a virtual table <laughs> in COVID, uh, together prayerfully asking the questions, working our way through, not allowing anyone's individual maybe motives to drive it too hard, even though we all have those and some of them for very good reasons. Yeah, so so I, you know, so it's at that level that I get very excited about that. Well, let's take it to another level, all right, a national yeah. level. Mm-hmm. As, as Baptists, we've tended not to be as, to exercise our voice in the public square as much. Right. Other other agencies, sometimes because they're better funded at the centre, mm-hmm. uh, like the synodal model where all the money comes into the centre and then goes back out. <laughs> Our model is not that model. So we've never had a lot of resources there. But, you know, we said, how do we do this better? And uh, and along the way, in discussions with different people, uh, we came to the point of saying, well, maybe, maybe there's a place here. And then again, for the the encouragement of one or two people, and particularly in this, I think, of Scott Higgins here in New South Wales, um, who was doing advocacy work with Baptist World Aid Australia, but that was always overseas focused in a sense. Mm-hmm. What about here in Australia? How do we do that? And, uh, and so Scott and I and others began the discussion, the exploration. And then, you know, at a national level, we have a discernment, which is called the National Council, which I know will surprise some people to think that actually there are people, that's a discernment group. Well, it ought to be when you think who's on it. All of our state leaders are there, plus the CEOs of our major Australian agencies. Mm-hmm. But there's a wealth of experience there. And so we come to that group. What do you think? Can we explore this? Mm-hmm. And out of that, as you would now know, Melinda, we now have converged where once a year we take a group of Australian leaders, Baptist leaders, into Parliament, in Canberra for a period. And, and I think the spin-off from that is people become increasingly aware they're Baptist. Well, I find as I go, my local member always say, oh, I was in this Baptist church or that Baptist church. <laughs> they know we're coming, so they do their homework. <laughs> um, but that's fine. Yeah. And it's opening doors for us as a community to speak into issues. And I'm so proud of that in a good way. Mm. You know, we didn't get there this year, of course, but in previous years we've talked about domestic violence on the basis of what are we doing as Australian Baptists that place? Now, some of our Baptist care agents are doing a great job and that's now spilling into local churches and we're getting more serious about that. So, And, and again, for me, that's that kind of, uh, you know, the, the spirit of God moving individuals to join other individuals to, to together say, can we do this? Mm. What's some governance we can put on? What's some support we can put under this? How do we do this? So, yeah, mm. that, that, I could go on, but I will stop. <laughs> no, when you mentioned Converge, we had the opportunity to be involved in that the last couple of years too. And, and what I loved, the response from the politicians we yeah. met was uh, they were kind of a bit surprised that we weren't there advocating for yes. ourselves, that yes. we weren't there asking for something for us. Um, like yes. you said, spoken about domestic violence or yeah. kids in Australia, yeah. um, you know, 
sort of saying we want to raise some issues because there's a group of us who have a passion for our flourishing community and you know, we, we have a voice together. I, it's, it's great. What it, it leads me to wonder is um, that's kind of, it's really inspiring to hear what's happening at that national level. And then I think about the person who might be listening who's just sitting in their local church going, well, I'm just one person and I might be passionate about this, but, you know, I don't have those opportunities. Where, where does it land for them? What would you say to them? Well, I think for them then it's a case of be careful about the strength of your passion <laughs> okay, um, in a way, because some passionate people drive other people away just mm-hmm. by the sense of the passion. So just first of all, be careful about that. I mean, I've seen that for supporters of global interaction because but... they get so strong about that in their local church. You, you see local church members go, you know, they, they pull away kind of thing. So share the passion but do it in a way which encourages people to join you. So for me, it's more about questions rather than, I think this is what we should be doing. I think mm-hmm. it must be, how do we respond to this issue? We hear about domestic violence. What are we doing in our community? Do you, what do you think's happening? Have we any idea? Of, mm-hmm. Are there any, and not that I want to know, I'm not prying, but what's the situation in their own church? Mm-hmm. Or even the, if someone came to us and said, look, I need a safe place, what could we do? So I think it's mm-hmm. a question of identifying what it is rather than kind of constructing a kind of a great big structure to start with. Let's not worry about the architecture. Let's mm-hmm. just begin with, is this, is this a real need? Look, here's, I think what we all need to be doing as followers of Jesus saying is, who are the marginalised? Mm-hmm. Who are the people who lack power, um, financial, uh, emotional, etc.? And how do we maybe begin to stand beside them? Now, some of them might even be our own faith community mm-hmm. and some certainly will be outside it. And then having, having started to ask that question, then who, who's with us in this? And, and, of course, what I see happen in local churches, you get a, a small group of people who start to encourage that. Mm-hmm. And, and wise pastors, when they come and start talking about it, they encourage it. They might say, look, we can't throw any money at this. Our budget mm-hmm. is done. But what I can promise you is we will pray for it and we're open to support you in this process uh, to encourage. Because I know myself as a pastor, I would have people come to me with enormous passion. Mm-hmm. But the passion was you've now got to do something about this. And I was like, well, no, we, we but we can join you in it. Because mm-hmm. essentially you're saying, well, let's see where the Spirit of God's going to take us in this. I, I might be wrong in my sense. I'm not sure this is where we need to go as a church. Oh, Lord, if I've got this wrong, I'm ready to be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say to that person, uh, yeah, look, test that person. Mm-hmm. Lord, is this something you've given me? Affirm that. And if it is, now begin to lead me to the people in our own mm. church who maybe feel a bit the same. And guess what? They won't be like me. <laughs> so it might be someone who I'm going to be really surprised has a similar passion. Mm. Because the thing I've discovered over my years, tenant, I have met some wonderful people who have become deep friends, but they never would have except mm. in the crucible of mission. And it was in that place that suddenly we discovered a depth of friendship. But the truth is it was still rooted in that. Mm. They didn't follow the same football team for <laughs> them, you know, kind of thing. Or politically, we were not very close. Mm-hmm. Or even ethnically. But, you know, it's, that's not the issue. Mm. If so I would just encourage you, find that person um, in, in your local congregation and I hope you can find them there. And if you can't, then maybe what you're being called to do is to begin in a, you know, in a sense, in a community agency 
that meets that. And in that place, you not only have a place to, to live out your passion list, but also you have a place to influence other people. Mm. I mean, we don't have to construct Christian agencies to do everything. There are a lot mm. of good agencies already, but, and they would be matured if we had people of faith in them mm. and a chance therefore becomes, this, is, this becomes, in fact, well, not my mission field, but, yes, my mission field. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going in there to see them all come to faith in Jesus, but I'm going in there to be a person of faith who lives out my faith with them. Mm. Uh, that would be my suggestion for them. So, Keith, I might ask you, what are you finding uh, in this particular season we're in, the unique challenges and opportunities that, uh, that it's bringing us? Yeah, well, it certainly is unique, isn't it? I mean, I, I think one of the good things is none of us have been in this before, so we've got no experts, nice. even though <laughs> we have some experts <laughs> increasingly, uh, particularly maternity, uh, the medical fraternity, but, you know, and that's fine. We need their good mm. advice. They know. They've explored this stuff. But in terms of our spaces, I guess, yeah, there's no experts. So it's, that's been, a, I think, a good humbling thing in mm-hmm. a sense of for all of us. We're in it together. Um, uh, yeah, and that maybe uh, reduces our our sense of I'm the expert here, listen to me. Mm-hmm. Although I've been very grateful of people who in particular areas, like very early on, I remember Carl Fay's put up a very good post uh, about how to use how to use Zoom. Right, <laughs> which we're using right now, yes. Right, yes, but yeah, how to, I, I just thought that was very helpful to remind people because a lot of us still discover that you spend a lot of time looking at people's faces and I don't think they've had a thought about how the camera is positioned, you know, <laughs> in terms of where it is projecting up on their face and what we therefore see that you wouldn't normally... Anyway, all of that just to say, how do we... And I'm grateful for that sort of advice that's come. And there's been a lot of learning along the way in that. Um, so I think they're that. I think for me, the, the, my observation across a number of the states, as I'm aware, has been uh, the capacity of the State Association Office to recognise their role at becoming a conduit for local churches. Uh, I mean, our, our independence of local Baptist churches, and that's not a good word at all, because it gives a wrong connotation, but the capacity of local churches to make their own decisions, which we would, which I certainly affirm absolutely, uh, uh, I think has been strengthened by the recognition again that we do their best together. Mm-hmm. And so, in association, um, local churches, I think, are discovering the value of belonging. So those those COVID uh, sort of Q and A sessions, which became almost a regular pattern, uh, as information was shared, but equally. As, as people shared, uh, as leaders of local churches shared their experience, has been a great learning experience mm. and reinforced this notion of we're in it together. So I think mm. that's been really powerful. I mean, <laughs> the next edition of Prac Magazine, because one of my responsibilities, of course, is Director of Crossover, right. uh, who aims to shape the missional edge of our local Baptist churches. I, I just think uh, the next Prac actually tries to draw some of those stories together. What's happened? What have you found as a local pastor? So we've gathered story from around the nation, um, uh, suburban churches, uh, that sort of thing, local churches, uh, and and tried to say, well, what have, what's been your experience and what have you learned through that? Uh, so it's, again, just trying to get the stories together. Uh, you know, how do we how do we learn this local Baptist church in that part of Australia, discover that, wow, 
That sounds like it could work for us. Here's the truth of it. Uh, what, now 30 years, I guess, is it? In 1992 at Dural Church, we've seen some, some growth. We're outgrowing our building. What do we do? At some stage, I read in our national magazine that no longer exists the story about the church in Lemming in Western Australia. They borrowed a million dollars to build a sports centre. I said to myself, they're already idiots, so they're much more faith than I have. I stuck that in that top drawer. Right. We used the church leadership started to talk about what have we had. We, we've been gifted with 10 acres, by, uh, five acres by a previous generation who faithfully bought it. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with it? Uh, and so we began the exploration. I pulled out that bit of paper. Now, I wouldn't have probably ever gone down that track, and it wasn't just me, obviously. Uh, a group of us came to that place, and the local council said, we can never meet the, the indoor sporting needs of our district. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would have never thought of that if that church, and if there hadn't been a vehicle to hear that story. Mm. So I think what COVID has taught me is the need for us, how do we continue to strengthen our, our capacity to listen to each other? Uh, mm-hmm. What has this local group of believers discovered? Uh, and that might be really helpful. I say, hey, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Fact, what, I'm, yeah. what I'm hearing is that really great balance that we, we're always trying to navigate and that maybe COVID is highlighting off both, you know, there's things we need to do together. Like we, we, we don't want to all be like saying reinventing the wheel or all no. be reading in detail the new COVID restrictions. It's great yeah. to have someone who yes. can share that and, you know, Absolutely. lead us and, and take the responsibility. At the same time, it's going to look different in every local context. Absolutely. And so we listen yeah. to the stories and go, oh, we're not, no, no, we're not going to do that, but maybe yeah. we can try that or that might spark an idea yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but we will need to be sure that the air pressure is appropriate <laughs> for the terrain that's our terrain, nice. you know, in that sense. Like, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it's the, our, all of our contexts are different. That's mm-hmm. the lovely thing. The gospel is the same, mm-hmm. but the gospel is going to have to be presented in different ways depending on what our context is. So, again, yeah, for local leaders, I think the other thing is that's right, the sense of, uh, you know, uh, what are we hearing and might, how might that work for us? And I think that the other lovely thing is the permission to explore and try. And mm-hmm. I know that's harder sometimes in local churches. Uh, but I think that's the, uh, and, but COVID's giving us that opportunity. Mm. And I'm seeing that with churches changing, even as they've come back, there's been changes in even how they do things. Mm-hmm. And I think here's an opportunity under COVID. And, and could I say to the, to those uh, risk-taking leaders, here is a chance <laughs> you know, to say, uh, you know, this is, uh, here's a chance for us to have another think about how we're doing this. Can we do it differently in a way? At Dural, my home church, and we're back there, interesting, after all these years away, but we live in a district. Uh, that's another story. But, uh, you know, we've discovered, and I think actually he's a South Australian, he does some wonderful children's stuff, mm-hmm. um, and it's all videoed. And he's right. been so gracious to say, change it how you want to, but it is revolutionised kids' talk in our church. Yeah. Uh, as a part of, you know, in the COVID, the online yeah. thing, has got to be a tight hour generally. Well, you know, children's talks often are wonderful, but they're often <laughs> disaster in a way. Well, this has been so tight and so good. And so it's one of those things that I know we'll just keep using and doing. Mm. And now some of the people, the creative people in our own church have said, well, we can replicate that. We can do cartoon kind of Mm. things. And it's just, and it's done so well that while it's for kids, it's got an adult content as well, which is always the best children's talks. Um, And I just think, well, wow. this." So I think it's that, I think for me that I, 
COVID is awful, 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 awful. And our Baptist care agents deserve all of our prayer and praise, mm. but particularly Baptist Care Victoria is still under the pump. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we just need to be very prayerful, but we need to be very grateful for the agencies that have done such a, a wonderful job in terms of protecting. I mean, Baptist Care New South Wales obviously went through a horrid top period for a while. Uh, Anglicare in New South Wales has had a horrid, horrid, horrid time for a while. Um, so we need to be praying for the CEOs and the staff, particularly in those places, as well as residents. Um, but for many of the rest of us, COVID has been an interesting time. But I want to suggest that probably we ought to say, well, Lord, we're in it. We're certainly praying for a vaccine. We're mm-hmm. praying for protection of the people at the front line. But we're also saying, well, Lord, how's this shift for us? What does this look like mm-hmm. for us? And we're not going to miss the opportunity. It's not going to be the same, no matter what, as much as we might long for that. So let's say, okay, well, what are the positive things out of this? What can I... So I could I say to my South Australian colleagues, the East Coast, which is not out yet. I mean, mm-hmm. in New South Wales, we can have 100 at church, can't sing, wearing face masks. It's the funniest deal. <laughs> anyway, but we do it. Um, mm-hmm. What have you learned? Mm-hmm. And now you're out. How are you navigating this period where people have got used to sitting in their lounge rooms, having a coffee maybe and a crumpet in their pyjamas? Are they coming back? Are you still doing online? How are you working that? So I think there's some questions that the East Coast want to be asking Mm -hmm. South Australia, Western Australia, particularly Tasmania. Mm -hmm. How are you navigating the coming out? What have you learned about that? What are you going to hang on to? What are you not? Because some of the noise I'm hearing, well, a bit more out of the States than in Australia at the moment is that church attendance just has not come back. Mm. And, and what does that mean then? And so the question for us is how do we continue to be, to be a community of faith if our previous method of sort of identifying that almost by Sunday connectedness, mm. even though a dural in the years I was there, we only ever had two-thirds of the church there on any Sunday. It keeps that day. <laughs> so, yeah. so let's not kid ourselves about where we were, but let's ask ourselves. Great so question. What, what does this look like now? Mm. And what do we say actually belonging to a, to a faith community looks like? Is that regular engagement in a small group? Is it reg, regular engagement in a ministry? I mean, what is, how do we define that? And how do we provide pastoral oversight and care to that? So I think that for me, that's, it's, it's an interesting, it's a fascinating season. Well, mm. even my role, Melinda, has meant, well, I'm, I would be in Adelaide in two weeks' time, right. have our executive, national executive group meeting, because someone's from Perth, someone's from Adelaide, someone's from Melbourne, someone's from Sydney. We fly in for a three-hour meeting in the association office, Mike Mills does a lovely job for us, <laughs> providing and tea and coffee, whatever. Uh, we now have that meeting. It's a two-hour Zoom meeting, mm. reduced expense, more time efficient. Now we lose something, clearly. Mm. We lose the the banter, the chatter, even the chat to each other, the building of relationships. It's so much harder to do on Zoom. Mm. But so the question will be going forward even for our national body and for any of our bodies which are national, uh, how much that looks like. Mm. Uh, and I think for us as a nation that is so spread out, uh, uh, we're going to, I think, out of COVID, discover some things. Yeah, we can cope with Zoom meetings. We've got the technology better. We can mm. do that. Uh, mm. So, yeah, so do I sound yeah. excited? You do. Can I ask you, you mentioned in there, so we're talking about church and all these, these great questions we need right. to be asking. You mentioned how the gospel never changes, but it 
is yep. I can't remember the wording you use, but you know it, it's it's proclaimed differently, or you know needs to speak. Yes. Have you got any yes. thoughts on that? On any thoughts on how this season might be shaping how we are sharing the gospel with our with our wider community? Well, I think what the obvious thing is that a lot more of it's being shared online, right? So I think there's a generation. I'm talking about my generation uh, who are, who are having to do a real pivot there, mm-hmm. where I suspect that younger generations are much more used to that. Mm. I mean, you know, they're, they're so welded to their technology in a way. Um, I mean, even a few years ago, I had people say to me, don't send me Prac magazine. You know, it just... It, magazine? It, What's that? That's right, exactly, yeah. If you can't send it to me electronically and make it so it's very easy for me to share with my leadership, don't send it because my leadership, and this is a younger cohort, mm. they won't even look at it. So I think that's the challenge, actually, for for some of us uh, who have been very used to some models. So to come back to the question then, but what we have seen is people actually coming to faith online. Mm. So in the online service, a chance for, if you have never made Jesus your Lord and Saviour or whatever the wording used, click this button now. Mm. And people now just say, Keith, it's through me. Hear the clicks. Click, click, click. People come to faith. So, you know, so there's at least one church that says, we're going to be quite intentional about this. We, we recognise this is Shopfront for us. So Shopfront is going to be about our primary product, which is Jesus. <laughs> so how does that affect what we do? Mm. What does that look like for people who come who have no church background? What does it mean about our languaging? Mm. So all that kind of which once upon a we to call seeker-sensitive stuff, I, I think is even more important because we've now got people who can log in from all over the place. Uh, and I just think we need to be more aware of that in a way. Mm-hmm. Guess what? God wants to use us as he said he would. We, as it were, Paul says, the letters, the mouthpieces, you know. So what does that look like? What are people reading? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And they got to the first chapter of the book and said, wow, um, there's not, how, do we, how do we generate that? So I think they're questions, which are just good communication theory questions, really. Mm-hmm. Why should these people keep watching? Why should they keep looking? Mm-hmm. Um, why should they keep listening? So... I'm, I'm encouraged to see that. And I think, again, what we need to recognise is some of our churches have always, because of their capacity perhaps or the, the capacity of people in those churches, uh, are moving faster in that. So mm-hmm. teach us about that. What, what's, what's happening at digital church and what does that look like? Uh, I mean, interesting, in this Prac magazine that's coming, there's a very good book review about digital church. Now, it is written in the States and it's a forum, but, again, here's ideas. Flash them up. I mean, what, as a side, can I say, one of the things that's encouraged me is to discover finally that people who have technical skill in our churches are, are getting the, the accolades they deserve. Their moment to shine. <laughs> it's wonderful. We've got a fellow in our own home church who's really, I mean, he's a very clever fellow, but in terms of lecturer at a university in pure maths, but uh, very quiet person. Mm-hmm. Someone said to me recently, uh, and I'll say he's Fred, Fred, when we come out of this, will the old Fred come back or will we have this new Fred? And he said, no, no, the old Fred will come back. He said, well, we're not going to let it happen because he's so engaged now. Mm. Uh, and it's been lovely to see that, uh, you know, uh, it's sort of almost right that that balance in our churches with some people who do wonderful work and never get acknowledged in a way. Uh, mm. But let me go back to the real question. I, I think the question is, yeah, again, we're going to have to say in our communities, whether it's, say, a regional church in Queensland, in a you know, cane farming area, as opposed to an inner city church in Melbourne, I think, again, the path of the leadership is going to have to ask the hard questions about what is actually happening in our district? Mm. 
I, I mean, I think, you know, without being too narrow about it, I think it's just a simple question anyone going overseas says, where am I going? What's the language? What's the culture? What should I not do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I have to get out of my cultural package? And even then the deeper question is what parts of the gospel that I've hung to really are more Western culture and not mm-hmm. about actually the core of the gospel? So as I work in an ethnic community, which is not Anglo, because that's what I am, mm. what do I need to be very careful about in terms of, uh, of suggesting by my action that this is actually core to the gospel when it really isn't at all? I mean, how do we pray? <laughs> you know, it's really fascinating. Let's close our eyes now, bow our heads. Well, you know, uh, where does that come from except <laughs> cultural practice? You mm-hmm. know? So I think we're going to have to ask those questions. And I know that's going to be harder in some of our communities, which have, we've got very used to how we do church. But a good thing, COVID has said, well, that's not the only way, even though, of course, for some churches, COVID was just a preacher at a pulpit. You know, it was like we, we're going to replicate what you're used to. I understand that. But mm-hmm. does that help us in the community we're trying to reach, mm-hmm. a community where there's an increasing number of people who, are, who, who, are, who declare they're disinterested, but the truth is there's a deep interest there. I mean, just at the moment, both on our global interaction, on our, sorry, on our crossover website and our ABM website, some really good work just done by McCrindle recently. Yes, now it's produced for businesses. Right. But it's about what's the, what's the makeup of the, well, of the consumer groups coming, but it's just simple demographics, which he's really strong at. Have a read. Who are the communities we're trying to reach? Which are the generations? I think they're the questions for us, Mel. And I'm sure we could keep talking about this, Keith, but we're going to wrap up. So I wanted to ask you a question, thinking about those kind of just individual conversations, people talking to their friends. Takes me back to those friends of yours that invited you along to that Baptist church all those years ago. If if you had known then what was coming and where God was going to take you over the next, what, 50-something years, what Mm -hmm. what would you have thought? (laughs) Would you have gone? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I mean, it, you know, uh, it would just would have scared me witless, uh, but not scared me witless in a sense, just that I'm not capable. Mm. Uh, Lord, you've got the wrong person. You were thinking of Fred or Jim, not me. I think you've just mixed it up because you know, I was had a non, you know, non-faith background. I mean, there are other people in, the, in that youth at young adults group that I became a part of who were much better equipped because of their lineage in church, you know, who they were, that sort of thing. I just said, Lord, what about Roger, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Surely you've spoken to him about this. So no. And, and to be fair, the graciousness of God, I'm so grateful in a way. I had no idea. For me, it was beginning the journey, asking the questions, loving teaching that he took me into, understanding that was not going to be the end, but what was next, great fear and trepidation. Off to theological college, but I didn't resign from teaching because <laughs> I knew this was only be a one-year adventure to get this silly stuff out of my head, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm the, one of the biggest doubters of all time. You know? <laughs> uh, but the Lord has been so gracious. I just, I almost feel emotional as I say this, about this sense of this lovely, and I get confused about Jesus and the Father in a way, so they, they come together through the Spirit. But that mm-hmm. sense of here's this, this wonderful person who just loves me in a way that puts up with my stupidity and, and my, my refusal to hear who's asking me to do something <laughs> and, and me rejecting the God of all creation out of hand. I mean, how idiotic is that? How, how does that lack rationality? 
But yeah, so I, I'm so grateful. And, and along the way, what he's allowed me to do is construct images of what's beyond the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that passage in Revelation 3, is it, where you know, John says to a major, Jesus has, he has, a, he has the keys. The doors he mm-hmm. opens, no one can shut. The doors he shuts, and close. Maryland, for Marilyn and I, that's when you come, come apart of our discernment process. Lord, our prayer is, and he must have got very used to it over the years, Lord, if this is the way, we believe you'll keep the door open. And even though we'll try and slam it shut, you won't let that happen. I'm very good at slamming doors, so it's been a slamming of doors. But at times it's been the Lord slamming the doors, that invitation early on to join a party and stand as a local member. Uh, Mm. That door just shut so clearly that we walked away saying, thank you, Lord, for that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the open doors, the open door to continue theological college. Uh, you know, the, the challenge, uh, and there was a lot of challenges. A, a son born very ill, never be able to go over, never leave Sydney, never leave, he'll be institutionalised. I mean, the Lord oh, wow. in his grace just heals him over mm-hmm. a three-year period. That finally we can reignite our application for overseas service. Uh, you, you know, so we have a history and I say, oh, it's Marilyn. We have a history of, of seeing that. So, yeah, I'm so grateful. All I'd say to people is take the first step on the ladder. <laughs> you don't have to know what's next. In fact, you won't know. But what you'll discover is what the Lord has prepared for you once you get through that door is even better than how you've constructed it. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing, Keith. And thanks for being willing and brave to follow Jesus those next steps, you, you know, not knowing where it was going to lead, but um, it really has had an impact on so many of us. Um, and look forward to seeing where Jesus leads you next. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Movement Today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's SA, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with a sermon from today's guest. Music